welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, why not check out our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Well, I have the privilege of finishing up the last of our series in Thessalonians. I've loved this series. It's been really meaty, hasn't it? And there's been some really tough stuff, but some really good stuff to get our heads around. But this is the final part. We move on to vision next week. So uh, we're in 1 Thessalonians 5. If you have a gadget or a Bible, you want to go retro and get a book. Um, If you would like a copy of the sermon that's on on the side of the info desk there, I feel like I'm being literally blinded. Can can the lights in my eyes come down a tiny bit? It, can, it might be these ones, I don't know. Thank you. It's this. Okay. Well, if I speak random things, it's because I can't see my notes. Let's, um, let's read together the passage that we're going to be unpacking today. So it's 1 Thessalonians 5 and starting in verse 16 to the end of the chapter. And it says this. Rejoice always. Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, thank you, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Well, honestly, when I first read this, it sounded like a completely random list of commands that bounces from subject to subject. We've got praying, rejoicing, giving thanks, not quenching the spirit, testing prophecies, uh, sanctification, what on earth holy kisses are, I don't know. But we can try those later, maybe. Um, Here are two things that we need to bear in mind as we look at this. Firstly, Paul has got the end in mind. This bit, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless. Da-da-da-da. Paul is saying things might be tough for you now, but God has got you. God has set you apart. He's sanctifying you. He's faithful. You're going to make it, guys. It might be really, really hard being persecuted in Thessalonica right now, but you're going to make it because God's faithful and he's got you. And the other thing that Paul is saying is he's reminding them to stick together. And these are things that were as true for the Thessalonians then as they are for us now. He's giving encouragements to a people gathered together to worship. Do you know, interestingly, all the verbs and all the instructions in this passage are in the plural. He's talking to a gathered church. He's saying, as you gather, rejoice, pray, give thanks. He's not saying, as you individually worship. He's saying, as you come together, as you're a group together. And that's why he says, greet everyone and have my letter read out to you. We'll come to that at the end. The assumption in this entire passage is that we are a gathered people, that we're together worshipping. So if you're joining us online or you're catching up with this afterwards on a podcast, I want to invite you, come. 
Come and gather with us in whichever our sites or services suits you best. Because really, over the past several weeks, the Lord has been doing a wonderful thing amongst us. And we've sensed his presence with us and the presence of the Holy Spirit stronger than we have in ages. The Lord is definitely on the move. It's exciting. Maybe you got out of the habit of coming over COVID. Or maybe you've never been in the habit. But we want to extend a really warm welcome to you and say, come. Come and gather with God's people. So Paul is recognising that the environment for the Thessalonians is hostile. The backdrop is persecution for the young church. And you might feel, I mean, we might look around ourselves at the culture today and go, do you know what? The, the environment for us is hostile too. The media is not very kind to Christians, nor is our culture. Universities, workplaces, even your family might feel like a hostile place and we need to stick together. A little bit like these emperor penguins. Now, I, over the past couple of months, have loved going home on a Sunday night after church and sitting down to watch the David Attenborough program about endangered species and the wildlife in the world. And this just reminds me of that. Do you know, those guys um, live in the Antarctic. They can survive temperatures of minus 60 Fahrenheit and gusts of wind that's 100 miles an hour. And do you know how they do that? by huddling together. If they were on their own, and the babies that get separated from the crowd, they don't make it. But huddled together, those emperor penguins can make it through. And it feels a little bit like that for us sometimes. When we gather, when we share, when we are family together, we make it through. So this passage isn't actually a list of random commands, like Paul scrubbling down as many things as he can at the end of his letter. He highlights three priorities as we gather, and I'm going to pull these priorities out of this passage. We're going to look at worship, we're going to look at the, word of the, the, the coming of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to look at the Word of God. So worship. Paul says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. These are activities directed from us, to God. They're a God-directed upward focus, rejoicing, praying, giving thanks. And it's a choice. We have the choice. We have to make a mature choice because we can really easily, well, okay, I'll speak personally. I can really easily get stuck in self-pity or grumbling or fear or being passive. But that is not the choice that Paul is inviting the Thessalonians and indeed us to make right now. He doesn't want us to stay in that place. I, um, last week in the evening, Andrew and I had to quickly dash out of church to pick up his mum, Andrew's mum, who is 82, and she had just taken herself off to Romania on a ministry trip. She's a feisty lady, and she'd gone off to serve in orphanages and pick flower bulbs and I don't know what, serving a gypsy community in the depths of Romania. And she had got a train from Watford back to New Street on Sunday, and she was meant to arrive home at lunchtime, but the train got stuck outside Milton Keynes. And so a one and a half hour train journey turned into an eight hour train journey with no electricity, no food, no phone chargers, no water. She actually had fainted in her seat because she was so tired and hungry, and it was so hot because there was no air conditioning. So we went and picked her up from New Street. And apart from being a little bit tired, she was incredible. She had a wonderful attitude. She didn't grumble. There was no self-pity. She'd found things and people to be thankful for. And do you know what? It was a lesson. 
it really spoke to me because I know that I would have been really grumpy and really hungry and really just not very pleasant. She was delightful. And I just thought, do you know what? That's what I want to be like when I'm 82. From Paul, too, this is straight-talking, heartfelt discipleship. He's not just giving some shallow advice that he hasn't lived. Remember, he's had masses of setbacks, masses of trials. He's been persecuted repeatedly. And when he was thrown in prison, do you remember what he did? He sang hymns to God all night. If you're in a trial, if life is uncertain, and goodness, we only have to look at the news to see that life is a bit uncertain right now, and there are a lot of trials that people are facing, we can gather we can rejoice, we can pray, we can give thanks, we can face it together like penguins in a huddle, and we will survive together. So then coming on to rejoice always, well, I checked out the word always just to make sure that it really does mean what it, what it says. And do you know what it means? Always. <laughs> Nothing more complicated than that. Rejoice always is a choice. Some churches that I uh, well, a church that I grew up in used to have this response that they repeated, where the leader of the church would say, God is good, and the, re- the response is all the time. And then we say all the time, God is good. So let's do it together. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. It's an excellent thing. It's really simple, but it's really important to remember and believe that. God's nature is unchanging. So we can always rejoice. Do you know, for God's people around the world, collective worship, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, is one of the most helpful ways that we can rejoice with a God-directed focus. Uh, Andrew and I were reading the benefits of collective singing on a, in a research paper by the British Academy of Sound Therapy, as you do. And um, we found out that singing can really positively affect your physical health, your mental health, and your emotional well-being. Because when people gather together and sing, it regulates your breathing, it regulates your heart rate, reduces stress, boosts your immune system, and gives you a natural endorphin boost. Now, it strikes me that, admittedly, that would still happen if we were singing Abba's Greatest Hits or something else, but actually, we're worshipping, we're coming into the presence of God in worship, so it's even more powerful. You might be thinking, well, I don't really know the songs very well. I'm not a very good singer. One of the reasons that we have the volume quite loud on a Sunday is so that actually we can all sing out and it doesn't matter if our voice isn't that great or we don't know the songs. We don't need to be self-conscious because nobody else can hear you anyway. So (laughs) that wasn't meant to be funny. That's meant to be real and honest. No one can hear you. Just sing. So when we gather, find your voice. Express your song, give your thanks. I love it when we use the gaps between the songs, like Hannah was doing this morning. We use the gaps between the songs to sing our own song to God. Don't, we don't need to stop when the music stops or when we're, we're going from one song to another. We can use that time to continue worshipping God. And we can take an active stance as we come to worship. You know, if you can, stand or kneel. Prepare your heart, recall God's promises. Maybe open up a favourite psalm, that can help you to worship. We can be fully expectant that we're going to meet with God when we come together like this and worship. So we've done rejoicing always. Then Paul says pray continually. And he's clearly not saying that we need to pray this constant stream of prayer to God every, you know, 24 hours a day. 
But I think he's saying that throughout a Sunday gathering, we are in an atmosphere of anointed worship. And so in that time, we're seeking to be attentive to God in a particular way. This whole thing is an atmosphere of prayer in which the things that we say are given to God as an offering. So what helps us to recognize that, 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 we're, that we're praying on a Sunday? Well, sometimes I come into church and I say, God, you're here and I'm with you. I give you my full attention today. And it's an active thing that I think to myself. I'll sit, I'll sit down there at the front and I'll say, God, you're here. I give you my attention today. And then I pay attention to my thoughts as we're worshipping. And I pray my thoughts. And I stay in conversation with God throughout the morning. God, is there something that I need to say to you? Is there something that you want to say to me? Use the time. Offer it to God. Come on a Sunday really expectant that he wants to meet with you and speak with you in a special way. As he does the whole of the rest of the week. But there is something special about the gathered church, which is what Paul's saying. We are casual around here. You know, we don't dress up in robes and things and wear special, you know, wear special things. We're casual, but don't confuse that with being irreverent. We, take, we don't take ourselves very seriously, but we do take God very seriously. We prioritize his presence. And then give thanks in all circumstances. Tim Keller said this, it is one thing to be grateful. It is another to give thanks. Gratitude is what you feel Thanksgiving is what you do. I love that. Paul was utterly convinced that God was working in everything and repurposing circumstances, good times and bad. Look at Romans 8, 28 and you'll find it. He's saying God is present and can be trusted. So we don't thank God for our circumstances necessarily, but in our circumstances, we can find something to be thankful for. Sometimes I just think about the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And sometimes I'll I'll sit in that place and I'll take a moment to pray and say, God, if you never answer another prayer in my entire life, if I experience pain and loss and I have to live with mystery because of all the things that I don't understand, I can still give you thanks because of Jesus and what he did. There's also a huge body of research and evidence about the benefits of thanksgiving and its positive impact on our emotional health, our mental health, and our well-being. So as we worship with thanksgiving, it's a powerful combination, friends. We come into the very presence of God. In Psalm 100, it says this, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. And then God makes promises to us. I'm not going to read them all, but just I picked out a few. Strength and joy are in his dwelling place. And then from Isaiah, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Something happens to us as we come into the presence of God. Strength, joy, renewal, healing, they're available to us. Why wouldn't we want that? God is working as we worship and as we pray and as we wait on him. And the spirit of God is here and he's in the room and he's in our lives. So these things that I've just talked about are God-focused choices. They turn our face up towards heaven. Worship is from us to God, rejoicing, praying, giving thanks. But the second part of this letter that uh, Paul is talking about is about the work of the spirit, the Holy Spirit. And it's about God turning his face toward us. 
about God working amongst us as his people. And Paul feels the need to train his people to respond well to the presence and the working of the Holy Spirit as they gather. And we need training and teaching just the same as the Thessalonians did. So we see in verse 19, Paul starts to talk about the work of the Spirit. And he says this, don't quench the Spirit, don't treat, con- don't treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. So don't quench the Spirit. The imagery is that the Holy Spirit is like a fire. And the Apostle Paul assumes that a fire can be quenched. Because he says, don't put out the flame of the Spirit. God is sovereign, but he still wants our cooperation. And that's what this is about. The Holy Spirit lives in us, but he wants to work amongst us and through us as we gather. Do you know, it is entirely possible to completely miss out on something good that God wants to do. The work of the Holy Spirit can be shut down. Because God doesn't force his way in, he invites us to cooperate with him. Now maybe the gifts of the Holy Spirit are outside of your experience, or maybe you've seen them handled badly and you're rightly cautious. A few years ago, Andrew and I went to a conference in a church and uh, there was an opportunity to go for ministry or for prayer. And I'm like, well, I'm up for everything that God wants for me. So and Andrew came too, and we were stood in this prayer line. And I was, I don't know, I was about here, and Andrew was further down the line. And this guy was going along, praying for everybody. And as he went down the line, I could see that people were falling over. And I was like, oh, well, the Holy Spirit's doing something here. And as the chap got to me, he put his hand on my forehead, and he pushed. And I was like... Well, I was affronted. I think possibly some people would have just gone with it, but not me. I was like, I opened my eyes and I went, excuse me, do you mind not pushing me over? Andrew said he heard me from down the line. He went, yay, that's my girl. <laughs> I, said, um, I said, if God wants me to fall down, he can make me fall down, but he doesn't need you to help him. Classic line. Um, and the guy left me quickly and went on to the next person. You know... We don't need to be weird. We, don't, we try and be as normal as we can in this church. And we don't need to pretend that God's doing something if he's not. But we do want to welcome everything that the Holy Spirit wants to do amongst us. And it might sometimes look weird, and that's okay. But we want to let God be God and do the things that God wants to do. The Holy Spirit lives in us, and he wants to work through us. So I want to help with an illustration How many of you had these? We used to get these every year as children. I think my parents used to put them in our Christmas stockings. This is a snow globe. Now, for the purpose of this illustration, I want you to imagine that the Holy Spirit is like the snow at the bottom of this snow globe. So, is there snow in this snow globe? Yes, Yes, there is. And if you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in your life. There's no question about that. But what is it to welcome the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? What is it to be filled with the Spirit? Well, God gets hold of our lives and he begins to work. Now can you see the snow globe is full of snow. And it's a little bit like that with cooperating with the work of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean the Holy Spirit wasn't in us before. He was, 
But being filled with the Spirit means that he permeates and fills every aspect of our lives. Nothing is off limits. Every part of me can be affected by the presence of the Holy Spirit in the same way that this whole snow globe can be filled with snow. We can't expect the Holy Spirit to work through us if we've not welcomed his work in every part of us. We can quench the Spirit. It's a little bit like saying, don't unsettle things in my life, God. Like, hands off. I prefer it predictable with just a dusting of snow. See, it look, it's settled. We have to keep welcoming him to come and move. Just a dusting of snow on the ground. The Holy Spirit is still there, but it's not filling every part. So being filled or empowered by the Spirit is, is, um, the, wor- is the Holy Spirit influencing every part of our lives. And the invitation is that as we become more responsive to the work of the Spirit in us, we experience more of his fullness. And the gifts of the Spirit are the immediate expression of the Spirit coming through people who are open to his presence and power. So there are lots and lots of ways that the Holy Spirit works when we gather. But to illustrate his point in this passage about responding to the Holy Spirit, Paul specifically talks for a moment about prophecy. And he says, do not treat prophecies with contempt. So just for a moment, what is prophecy? Well, in Corinthians, it says this, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. And Wayne Grudem, who's a a theologian, describes prophecy like this. He says they're human words reporting something that God brings to mind. So they're like spirit-inspired phrases that bring encouragement, comfort, and strengthening. And Paul says don't despise prophecies. Prophecies mustn't be treated with contempt. If you've had a bad experience, it's really easy to despise. But prophecy is clearly meant to be part of our congregational life together. Otherwise, Paul would have banned it. Instead, he taught people how to use it well. The antidote for any abuse of a gift is the proper use of that gift. And we're meant to be hungry for the gifts of the Spirit. Because in other places, Paul says, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. So what does Paul say? He says, test it. We mustn't despise prophecy, but we must test them. We mustn't accept them blindly without discernment. And we need a framework. So ask yourself, does this line up with the Bible? Does this prophetic word feel like it's motivated by love and show the nature of Christ? Does it build up? Does it strengthen? Does it encourage the hearer? We share prophecies humbly. We say, I think the Lord might be saying, not the Lord says, I think maybe... Possibly God could be saying. And Paul says, hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. This word good was often used in reference to what was genuine as opposed to what was fake. And the imagery is from banking and testing coins. You know, if you hold some coins in your hand, you can kind of feel if they're a different, from a different nation. Or you can feel if they're fake, can't you? Because they don't feel real. They don't feel valuable. Paul's saying, what's weighty? What resonates with you? So when we plan church, we hold two values in tension. We seek to be prepared because that honours God. And we seek to be spirit-led so that we can respond to what he's doing in the moment. We try and create space in the flow of a service. We try and hear God in our pre-service prayer, which starts at 10. And you're more than welcome to come and join us and listen to what God's saying for the service. If you feel like God's saying something in the service, come and chat to our service team and whisper to them, I feel like God might be saying this. We're a body. We can hear God together. 
And then when we have space to speak out at the end, be brave. We need to be a responsive, com- a responsive congregation and we don't want to quench what the Holy Spirit's doing. So how do we cooperate with the work of the Spirit in us? And how do we cooperate with his work through us? So what about in us? Well, sometimes we can try and control things. Sometimes we sense an emotion rising up. You might have walked into church feeling completely fine, and then now you feel all emotional. Or during the worship, something you start to feel um, tears or sadness or joy or just something that Holy Spirit is moving in your heart. Do you know, it says in Psalm 35, it says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he restores those who are crushed in spirit or who have lost hope. When you start to feel something in when we're in worship, take some time to reflect. Go back to that point where God got your attention. Maybe a line in the song God really wanted to speak to you through or in the midst of a message, a particular phrase strikes you. See that as the start of a conversation with God and start to cooperate with him. Spend time with him asking what he wants to say. Welcome his work. And what about the Spirit's work through us? Well, listen to God. Be brave. Share what you think God might be saying. You might want to just start sharing it with one person or share it in your small group. I think God might be saying this for us. And it's okay to have a go. So many times, something that is shared speaks to somebody else in the room and it just says you are known and you are seen by God. Prophetic words can be such a doorway to open people up. Some dear friends of ours who lead a church in Nottingham recently had a newcomers event and they had some people there who didn't yet know Jesus and they, at the end they shared some prophetic words and uh, one couple came up to the, the leaders afterwards and they said, are there many psychics in your church? John and Debbie were like, no, no, no. We're not psychics, but we do believe that God can speak to us. And it has spoken, these words have spoken directly into these people's hearts. And they started to follow Jesus. What a wonderful thing, because some people were brave. And they went, I think God might be saying X, Y, and Z. So if you want to learn more about the prophetic, chat to Joe. She leads a team of people who are pressing into this with everything that they've got, trying to learn how to hear God's voice better. And there are, there are courses that you can go on and books that she can recommend. I think we've got a course coming up, haven't we, Joe? in January. So if you're interested in just pressing into the prophetic more and more and learning to hear God's voice better, she'd love to chat to you. And just lastly, as we finish off this book, The Word of God. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Paul says, greet all people, not just your friends. It's an instruction that we can come together and we are to be a family. You might think, I don't think I've got anything in common with these people, but do you know what? If you follow Jesus, we are family. We all have a shared story of God's goodness. And last week when we prayed for one another and we prayed for people we didn't know, well, I don't know about you, but I was so blessed by the two ladies that I prayed with. And then Paul says, I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. Read to everyone has to do with public instruction. This culture was less literate. People might not have been able to read for themselves. But it was fully expected that letters in the Bible would be read aloud to the gathered church. So every time we gather, we listen to God's word and we seek to apply it and put it into practice in our lives. So I want to sum up because I've gone way over time. Worship and seek God's presence. 
Rejoice, pray, give thanks. Welcome the work of the Spirit in us and through us. And as we're formed by the word of God, we listen to him, we obey him. And to finish, I want to read this last blessing that comes, it's really the heart of this passage. So I'm going to read the blessing that Paul writes over you all, and then we'll move into a time of ministry. So Paul says this, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. Why not come along and visit us? We gather at three services across two sites on a Sunday and meet during the week in small groups across the city. More information on both of these can be found on our website. Thanks for listening and God bless.